Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. Let's jump into it. I, 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 want, to, I want to start with maybe one simple kingdom truth, one simple kingdom truth as we start navigating this. I, I want to talk to you from just the thought, bring the walls down. Bring the walls down down. Can you say that with me? Bring, bring. The, walls the walls down. down. Come on one more time like you believe it with me. Everybody say bring, bring. The, walls the walls down. down. I want you to understand this, this simple kingdom truth and that is that Jesus is not only a healer, a deliverer, a provider, a savior. I ain't getting no amens on none of that right there. I'm going to do that again. He's not only a healer. Can I get an amen? amen. A deliverer, can I get an amen? A provider? A savior? We know that to be true, but, but I want to focus in on this particular truth here in that Jesus is a reconciler of all mankind. He's a reconciler. I, I want to focus in on that because it's easy for us to embrace him as a healer, to embrace him as a deliverer, as a way maker, as a provider, as a savior, but, but we don't always focus in on or appreciate the fact that he is a reconciler of all mankind. Let me give you some scripture here. I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, watch it right here, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is a reconciler of all mankind. His heart is to tear down every wall of separation, every wall of separation. I want to hone in on this a little bit more because when we look at Jesus, particularly in the prayer that he prays there in John chapter 17, we hear his heart for reconciliation. We hear his heart to bring us together and to tear down every wall of separation. Jesus prays this prayer in John 17, beginning at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Can everybody say one? one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one. Can everybody say one? one. In us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You want to highlight that right there, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one. Everybody say one. one. That they may be one just as we are one. Jesus prays this prayer. It, 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 is, it is a, it's a bold prayer. It's it's a critical prayer. He prays that we would be one. The fact that Jesus prayed the prayer lets us know that he knew that there was a real possibility 
that we could become separated and divided. So he prays the prayer, Lord, Father, <laughs> make them one, even as we are one. He, he's giving us the picture of his relationship with the Father, how there is no division or separation between the Father and the Son. He says, I want them to be one just like we are one. He's praying this prayer. And, and note now, he's praying this prayer for the church, for all those who would believe. Ah, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying for the church that the church would be one. Now, why does he pray that prayer? This is critical. He prays it, notice what he says, that the world might believe that you sent me. He's saying that the way the world is going to know that I have come is by the oneness that is in the church. Mm. More than how many groceries you can pass out, more than how many blood drives you can hold, Oh, y'all getting quiet early. I thought I, thought I was in an in-person service, but, 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 but more than all of these acts, that we do which we need to do which are good well and fine to do he says beyond all of that what will prove to the world that I have come is when they see the unity and the oneness and the togetherness that is in the church Uh, I see I got a little bit of a road to tow here because, because, because I believe that in this hour what the world is looking for is how can we dwell together in unity? How, how can we come together? We're torn apart, it seems, on every front whether we're talking about black and white or brown and yellow, whether we're talking about Republican and Democrat, whether we're talking about men and women, whether we're talking about the haves and the have-nots, the educated and the uneducated, it doesn't matter what line you look on, it looks like we're being torn apart at every scene. And I believe the world is looking for how can we come together? And can I tell you the answer is in the church and Jesus is praying for the church to get it right because if the church doesn't get it right, the world will never get it right. Oh, 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 let me, let, me, let me work with it here. And so the understanding is the church must reflect the kingdom and not the culture. We must reflect the kingdom and not the culture. But I'm concerned that the church in all of this turbulence, in all of this volatility, will begin to reflect the culture and not the kingdom. And we'll begin sounding like the culture, us versus them, instead of understanding we're better together. Can you say that with me? We're better, better. Together. together. And so Jesus prays. He prays a prayer for oneness and for unity. 
Psalms 133 gives us a picture then of unity. We know this. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, there, the Lord will what? Command blessing and life forevermore. Did you get that? This is speaking of the heart of God. God says, I so love unity. I so love togetherness that when I see it, with the same authority that I said, let there be light, and light came. Darkness had to back up. He said, with that same authority that I commanded light. He said, when I see unity, I will command blessing and life to come upon that unity. Wherever I can find that kind of you, if you can get that kind of unity in your marriage, I'm going to command a blessing there. If you can get that kind of unity in your family, I'm going to command a blessing on your household. If you can get that kind of unity in your church, I'm going to command blessing and life upon that people. Wherever I can find that unity, that togetherness, that oneness, I will command life and blessing upon that people. Now, 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 let's look at this because he, he says here, when we, when we dwell together in unity. Mm. So it's not just dwelling together. He qualifies it. He says you got to dwell together in what? Unity. Now, not just existing one with another. Not just showing up one with another. But he says you got to dwell together in what? Unity. Now, let's look at this word unity, because unity, unity, you're well taught here, so I know you know this, but I'm just reminding you, unity does not mean sameness. He's not saying that I want all y'all to be the same. Mm -mm. That's, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about unity. Let's, let's borrow maybe a thought from uh, the musical Field. And, 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 and the difference would be between harmony and unison. So the idea here when he says dwell together in unity, he's saying I want you to live in harmony. <laughs> so in harmony, we understand that, 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 that harmony requires the notes <laughs> to be played in such a fashion that it yields a pleasant sound. The notes are different, but because they're arranged properly, they give us a right sound. Alan, can you help me out? Can you, can you, can, 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 can you help me out? Just play, just play one note, one, one note, one, one note. Yeah. That's just one note. That's just one note. And then and, and just play maybe another note any note yeah and and so when we talk about harmony it is the understanding that notes have a particular sound a, a particular tone that makes them unique and God says what I want you to do is keep your uniqueness your sound your tone 
but I wanted to compliment another note. So give me an arrangement of notes played together. Did you hear that right there? That, that's harmony. The notes remain unique, but they come together to create harmony. I love harmony. I love I love harmony. Harmony, harmony sounds so good. It just, it soothes the soul. I, I'm thinking about a 90s group, the boys to men, boys, boys to men. And, and one of the reasons why we like boys to men is because of the harmony. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't start. Don't, 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 don't start. Just make you want to just do this right here. That's harmony. Everybody say harmony. God is not wanting us to come and be the same. That would be unison. Everybody sounding the same. No individuality, no uniqueness. Everybody just sounding the same. God says, I don't want that. You got to understand that God is a God of diversity because diversity shows forth his glory. We see it in creation. Yeah, that, that when God created trees, he didn't give us just one kind of tree. Say, here you go, you got an oak tree. Be happy with the oak tree. No, he gave us oak trees and maple trees and elm trees and magnolia trees because the diversity shows forth his glory. When he made birds, he didn't give us one kind of bird, but he gave us bluebirds and woodpeckers and robins and ravens and when he made flowers, he didn't give us one kind of flower. He gave us roses and orchids and daffodils because the diversity shows forth his what? Glory. Can I tell you it's the same way when he created mankind? He said, I don't want just one type of y'all. He says, I want black, I want white, I want brown, I want yellow, I want red, and I want it on purpose. Aww. He said, I want it on purpose. And I need you to get this because sometimes, you know, I hear people, they say things like, well, well, in the house of God, I don't see color. The fact that you said that lets me know you see color. Don't tighten up on me here. I, I don't see color. We just all the same in him. And I get the heart, I get the sentiment, but can I tell you, that can be offensive, watch this, not only to the person you're saying that to, but more importantly, it's in offensive to God. Because God made it that way because he wanted it that way. He made me black because he want me black. He made you white because he wants you white. He made you brown because he wants you brown. Anybody grateful that God made you the way that he wanted to make you on purpose? Come on, whatever you are, you ought to be happy. You ought to be proud. You ought to be glad that he made you that way on purpose. Can you give God a praise right here that he's a God of diversity? He's a God of variety. And, and, so, and so when we talk about unity, when we talk about dwelling together as one, it's to appreciate the uniqueness that each one of us possesses because of the intention of God in creation. Are you following me here? 
And so the idea is harmony, not, not unison. It's the understanding of, of, of where it's not supposed to be a melting pot, but we're supposed to be like gumbo. I love gumbo. If there, were, if there was one thing I had to eat for the rest of my life, it would be gumbo. I love some gumbo. Because, you know, in gumbo, you got, you got some shrimp, you, you got some crab legs, you got some chicken in there, you got some adoe sausage in there, you got that roux in there, and you put it all together, cook it up right, and it will bless your soul like nothing else. I, and the beauty of the gumbo is that the chicken don't turn into the shrimp. And the shrimp don't turn into the adoe sausage. But they all bring their unique flavor and make something that any one of them could not be by themselves. That's why I like coming to Cornerstone Church. Because there's a little bit of everything in here. One of the value statements is that we are mosaic. And we've got people here from different backgrounds, from different experiences, and I'm just grateful for the work that has been done over all of these years to create an environment where everybody is welcome, everybody is celebrated. Can you give God a praise right here for the unique expression of the diversity of God that we enjoy right here at Cornerstone Church. Now let me work on this here because I told you about the prayer for unity that Jesus prays. I showed you the picture of unity that Psalms 133 gives us. Now let's take it down a step further. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4 because not only do we have a prayer and a picture, but here we're admonished to protect the unity. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says this, make every effort to keep, to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm reading from the Amplified, which goes on to say, each individual working together to make the whole successful. There is one body of believers and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you when called to salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all, who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. Now, 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 Paul begins to write following up on this prayer that Jesus prays for unity and oneness, following up on this picture that Psalms 133 gives us for unity and oneness, and he admonishes us that we have to protect, we have to preserve the unity, the oneness of the Spirit. That is important. Because now he's telling us that each of us has a responsibility to protect the unity. Mm. that unity and togetherness doesn't just show up. But everybody has a responsibility to preserve and protect the unity. 
I know we social distancing and we trying to be mindful, but look somebody right in their eyes and tell them you got a part to play in this. You got a part. You got a part to play. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Those of you watching on the line, you, get, you got a part to play. You have a role to play in this. Notice it said each individual working together to make the whole successful. Now, let me drill down because, because I said earlier, and I want to say it again, the church has got to get this right. The church has got to get this right. I don't have time to take you through history, but, but if we really looked at the American church in particular, all throughout the history of the American church, there has been division and separation, particularly along the lines of race. Whole denominations have been started because of the issue of race. You have the Southern Baptists leaving the Northern Baptists because the Southern Baptists wanted to hold on to their slaves. You have at the time of Azusa, denominations splitting because they didn't want to be ordained by men of another race. I'm talking about it because I believe the church is supposed to be the answer, but we can't be the answer if we won't own up to some stuff that we've got in our own closet. And, 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 so, and so he says everybody has a responsibility. And, and so I want to drill down on this because we have to, we have to, as the church, understand the culture of the kingdom. We have to understand what it means to be brother and neighbor to one another. And the reality is, is all too often culture begins to infiltrate the church and we begin to reflect the culture and not the kingdom because we... Let me work with you on this. Luke 10, Luke, Luke 10, Luke 10, Luke 10. You all know this particular parable. Beginning at verse 25, one day an expert in religious law <laughs> stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, man, you got it. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. That's interesting right there. It, it implies that he had been in behavior that was inconsistent with what Jesus just prescribed. And he wanted to justify staying in the same behavior, mentality, mindset that was counter to what Jesus prescribed. So he says here, <laughs> and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. Y'all know the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came 
alone. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side. Someone say the other side. Crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant or a Levite walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Someone say other side. Then, then, then a despised Samaritan, not just a Samaritan, but a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who walked, who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. It's interesting to me that Jesus, in teaching the man a central understanding of the kingdom, the characters he chooses, the man who comes with the question, Jesus is careful to tell us that he's an expert in religious law. Not just law, religious law. Then the first two characters that come to see the man that has been attacked, Jesus takes time to show us that they are religious too. A priest and a Levite. What is Jesus trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that all too often religious folks get the principle of neighbor wrong you can be religious and still not know what it means to embrace your neighbor let me work on it here because I'm talking about the church it's, 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 it's easy for us to get caught up in religiosity and not Christianity Religiosity and Christianity are not the same thing. Mm. Going to church and being a disciple of Christ are not the same thing. Jesus says all three of these religious jokers got it wrong. But the despised Samaritan got it right. I know it's quiet. The despised Samaritan goes and pours oil and bandages up the Jewish guy who had been stripped and beaten. To the Samaritan guy, Jewish lives mattered right there. I know it's eight claps, that's all right. It's he could have poured the oil and took the bandages and put them on anybody. 
but he put it on the guy that had been stripped, beaten, attacked, left for dead, because in that moment, Jewish lives matter. I know there's all kinds of feelings about black lives matter, all lives matter, but here in this passage, he illustrates for us the sentiment of black lives matter. Uh, we're not talking about organization. We're not talking about methodology. We're talking about mattering. They matter. We're not saying better. Matter. We're not disregarding anybody else. Matter. Jesus is trying to teach us that when you see hurting, beaten, despised, forgotten, abandoned, abused, oppressed people, their lives matter too. I can't get no agreement in the house right here. That's all he's trying to say. Don't forget the abandoned, the broken, the forgotten, the oppressed, the marginalized, the voiceless. Their lives matter too. Go and pour the oil. Go and put the bandage on them because their lives matter. If you agree with that, just give the Lord a praise right here. Let me hurry. Because, because it's interesting to me that the two religious guys, they went on the other side. On the other side. Crossed over to the other, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan comes alongside. <laughs> the other two go to the other side and the Samaritan comes alongside. This is what Jesus did for you and for me. He didn't go to the other side. He didn't pass by on the other side, but he came alongside of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus did not go to the other side, that he did not pass by on the other side. But while I was in my mess, while I was in my sin, while I was jacked up, while I was doing wrong, while I was living foul, while I was doing everything against his will and his word, he came alongside me, picked me up, and turned my life around. Anybody in here glad that Jesus came alongside and he rescued your life? You have been stripped of your identity. You have been beaten down in your self-confidence. You have been left for dead, but Jesus came alongside, delivered, and rescued you. You ought to give God a praise right here if you know God has brought you from a mighty, mighty long way.
let me, let me, let me hurry. I've got just a few minutes here because you got to understand that part of what this story teaches us is that distance is dangerous. Distance is dangerous. Notice when they go to the other side, when they pass by on the other side, it's easy for them to, to dismiss the man that is hurting. It's easy for them to distort the narrative. They can tell themselves anything about that man. He deserved it. He shouldn't have been down there. It's his fault. Distance is dangerous. I need you to get this. I need you to, to get this because distance, watch this, gives you the space to dehumanize another. Distance gives you the space to dehumanize another. Alan, if you would, come stand with me. That's far enough, social distance. When we are in proximity, I see him. I see the emotion in his eyes. I can see the smile on his face. The further we get from each other, the more difficult it is to make out what's in his eye. The less appreciation I have for the smile that's on his face. It becomes more difficult for me to see the pain that he might be going through in that moment. The farther away from he is, and, and see, I need glasses, so right now I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> this space right here is where the enemy causes walls of separation that causes me to not any longer see him as my neighbor, but just some guy over there across the platform. Are you tracking with me? And so what we gotta do, let me hurry, let me hurry. We, got, we have to tear some walls down. Someone say, tear some walls down. Tear, come on, say it again, tear some walls down. Come on, say, tear some walls down. Let me go through this quickly, because we gotta tear some walls down. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, they had to drive out some ites, Moabites, Amorites, Jebusites, Gergesites, all these ites. But here we as the church in the New Testament, we're not dealing with ites, we're dealing with isms. We got some isms that we need to drive out just like the children of israel drove out ites in the promised land we got to drive out some isms that would try to occupy our land let me give you just a few as i hurry here we got to drive out racism classism sexism legalism elitism all of these isms seek to separate and divide us. 
These are mentalities and mindsets, behaviors and attitudes. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says this, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Reading from the New Living Translation, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. That's what isms are. They're false arguments, racism, sexism, classism, legalism. There are false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. These things keep people from knowing God. Racism keeps people from knowing God. Sexism keeps people from knowing God. Classism keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. It is the idea that these strongholds have to be torn down. These mentalities have to be torn down. These attitudes, these mindsets have to be torn down. Can I tell you that if these isms aren't torn down, they find their way into institutions and into systems. And now you have systematic racism, institutionalized prejudice and bias. I don't have time. So you got to know that we got to tear these walls down. And it starts in the church. I heard someone say it, and I believe it's true. God is not going to fix the White House before he fixes the church house. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's what I'm talking about. That nervousness right there. That little unsettled thing right there. Uh-oh, what's he getting ready to say now? I know, he ain't, I know he ain't talking about... Let me work with it. Let me give you four. I'm going to give you four things on this point and four things on this next point, and then I'm going to pray. The walls have to be torn down on four levels. Four levels. First level has to be torn down is individually. You cannot tear a wall down externally if you got one internally. Mm. And so we cannot have any remnant or residue of those isms in our own heart. That's why the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Because those things can creep into our own heart. So the walls have to be torn, torn, torn down individually first. Secondly, in family. Can I tell you what we teach, train, and talk about with our children will determine whether or not these isms are perpetuated or eradicated. You can't be saying one thing when you hear and saying another thing when you at home. That's why Paul had to check Peter because Peter was acting one way 
when he was with the Gentiles, but when the Jewish brothers showed up, he shunned the Gentile brothers. And Paul said, that ain't right. You got to tear it down individually. Everybody say individually. Got to tear it down in family. That means what, what I'm teaching my sons and my, my daughters, what, what I'm teaching them has to line up with the character and the nature of Christ. It has to be consistent with the culture of the kingdom. I got to make sure that I'm walking what I talk and I talk what I walk, that there is congruence there. We move individually to family and then we move to church because individuals make up families. Families make up churches. So the church then needs to make sure that we are exemplifying the culture of the kingdom. When we move from individual to family to church, then we can begin to shape and impact culture. Problem is, is that we're trying to impact culture, but we ain't dealt individually first. Alan, can you play? Because I, I can see they're turning me out already right here. Come on. It starts with you, and it starts with me. In this climate that our nation is in of change, transformation, reformation, begins with you and me. It begins with you, and it begins with me. Let me give you these four concepts, and then we're done. So you and I have to embrace the kingdom above all. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it above all and everything else will be added. Here it is. If you're taking notes, I need you to get this. You got to be willing to place the kingdom of God over your kind. Whatever your kind is, your group is that you identify with you got to be willing to put the kingdom of God over that watch me here don't have more allegiance to your kind than you do to the kingdom well us black folk think this way well us Republicans think this way well us men's us women's us Whatever your kind is that you identify with on a natural level, you got to say, you know what? My spiritual identity supersedes that. I embrace the kingdom more than I embrace my kind. Two, you got to place the kingdom of God over your preference. Everybody's got preferences. You got preferences on food. You got preferences on music. You got preferences on this, that, and the other. But you, you got to be careful that you don't put your preference over the kingdom. Don't be willing to defend your preference over the kingdom. I find that when that happens, preference simply then becomes clothed prejudice. Place the kingdom over your preference. Number three, place the kingdom over your fears. 
Place it over your fears. Place it over your fears. Don't hide behind the excuse. Well, I, I've never, I've never, I've never spent time with those people. I've never been around that kind. I don't know how that's gonna go. I don't, I don't know how they're gonna respond, how they're going to react to me. And you use that as an excuse to stay in your corner, in your camp. You gotta put the kingdom over your fears. Last one here, place the kingdom of God over your experiences. You may have had a bad experience from somebody from a different background, a different race, somebody from a different place. But can I tell you, don't allow your past experience to define your future. So many times what we do is we say, because of this incident here, because of that situation there, we will write off entire people groups. And when you do that, you are exalting your experience over the kingdom. Challenging us here, church, because I believe with everything that is in me that the church is to be the light I believe with everything that is in me, the church is the answer. I believe with everything that is in me, the church is the solution. But we got to get this thing right and make sure that we tear down every wall of separation because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he is the great reconciler of all mankind. May we be one as he and the Father are one, that the world may see that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. If you believe that, clap your hands and stand to your feet. I know this is not one of those perhaps run around the building, shout and dance messages. But I believe it challenges, all, challenges us all to take ownership and responsibility for the change that we want to see in society and community. We want to see us come together. We want to see walls of separation and division be brought down. To do that, it starts with, with us. One last verse and then I'm gonna pray. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I love this. And they were shouting with a great roar. <laughs> I believe it's time for the roar of the kingdom to be heard in culture a people that knows what it means to stand together, to be united, to be one. A roar that has every tribe and tongue, nationality and ethnicity declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
If you would, I want you to raise your hands right here as I pray. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we come. And I ask, oh God, that in our hearts, you will remove anything that is not like you. Anything that's contrary to your character and nature, I pray that you would uproot it. Let there be no residue or remnant in us of any ism, of anything that would bring division or separation. Create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit. May we exemplify the character and the nature of Christ in these challenging days. Father, I pray that we would do our part to bring down every wall of separation, racism, classism, sexism, legalism. Father, anything that would cause us to be separated one from another. May that wall come down in the name of Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that there would be a spirit in the church of celebration one for another. Let there be a love one for another. Let there be a peace towards one another that lets the world know that you are the great and mighty God. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.